All right. Eyes closed. Heads bowed. Can't leave that song quite yet. A little moment between you and God right now. Can you say to him, God, you are enough. If you can do that right now, you tell him personally, not just singing it publicly, but tell him yourself right now, God, Father, King, Shepherd, Friend, you are enough. And if that's hard for you to say right now, it's okay. Tell him you're struggling with that. Father, I know that you want our honesty. You want us to be sincere with you. And you know better than anyone that there are times when we really struggle to be content And there are times when we challenge you and wonder if you're really enough. So this morning as we unpack this idea of being content with you, will you speak into that part of our lives? For every single one of us who is struggling to see that you really are enough, struggling to find contentment in you, We just take this time that we have right now and speak into our lives. Remind us of that truth through the words that we're about to look at. Bring us all one step closer to you, one step closer to being content with you and seeing you for who you really are. God, take this time and speak to me. Speak to every one of us. Remind us of your character, your identity, and all that you have to offer us. We just give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're going to need a Bible again. Get your Bibles out. Open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible to follow along as we go through another psalm today, just put your hand up. Our ushers are coming around. they got Bibles, and you can grab one of those Bibles to use to follow along. And if you're receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just take that Bible. And um, also, if you are interested, there are still a few copies of the Gospel of John back on that desk back there. It's just a little pocket-sized Gospel of John. You can just grab it and take it with you. Um, We've gotten rid of most of them. Those have gone out, and I'm really excited about that. All right, before we move ahead in our series this morning, I want to take one quick step back and simply hear, see Psalm 130 one more time, the psalm we looked at last week. So turn to Psalm 130, and let's just absorb these words again. This is such an incredible psalm. And I hope this is uh, a great reminder to you regarding God and you and us. And, um, and I hope you've spent a little time reflecting on that this past week since we looked at Psalm 130 
But let's read it again and um, get it right back into our hearts and our minds. Psalm 130, this is what it says. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel. He will redeem God's people from all their iniquities. In the midst of living in a fallen world where sin and suffering and shame are part of the landscape, we have a father to turn to. And when we turn to him, we can be confident of who he is and what it is that he has for us. We can know with confidence that God offers us his forgiveness His steadfast love, his plentiful redemption. God will redeem us as surely as the sun will rise every day. And I hope you've been able to draw some encouragement from these words. I needed to hear them and be reminded of who God is and the confidence that I can have in him. So let's continue to put our hope in God as his children, as his church. Our journey then brings us to a very short psalm. Three verses. It's a quirky psalm. This one provides us once again with a very good reason for us to take the time to dig into God's word and let him show us what it has for us. Because, let's be honest, there are things we read in the Bible that typically result in us just turning the page and moving on to the next passage or the next psalm with no clue about what we just read. (laughs) For example... A statement like, like a weaned child is my soul within me. (laughs) Um, Not something that you're going to typically add to the bottom of someone's birthday card. Um, It's more likely that we're just going to skip over this psalm and then move on to something we can connect with easier. Uh, Remember that this psalm is one of the 15 psalms that became a part of a tradition for the Israelites. Um, I'm not entirely sure what genre of music would be most suited for lyrics such as, like a weaned child is my soul within me. But there had to be a reason this psalm was put to music and sung at least three times a year on their pilgrimages. So let me share with you what I saw as I spent a week digesting the words of Psalm 131. Let's read Psalm 131 now. This is what it says. O Lord... My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now, David is given credit for writing this psalm. 
I want us to keep that in mind as we journey through it. It's important to remember that this came from him. David's one of those characters in the Bible that we struggle with because he made some horrendous mistakes. His life is a powerful demonstration of God's grace and redemption. And I'm sure that his lifelong struggle with his own past had an impact on his writing and on everything else. David was also described as a man after God's heart. God chose David. David was considered the greatest king Israel ever had. And at the center of that reality, in spite of the mistakes, was a man who sought after and listened to God. David had a relationship with God and God moved in and through David's life. So there were phases within that relationship. There was a process of maturing, and today's psalm speaks of that maturing. So I think these three verses have a lot to say to us within that context. Let's break this down and see where it takes us. Verse 1, verse 1 says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now, at first glance, this verse seems a little like David is discouraged. If I were to say that my heart is not lifted up, I'd probably mean that my heart is heavy. And with my eyes not raised too high, I'm probably expressing to you that I'm staring at the floor out of discouragement or sadness. But I don't believe that this is what David was communicating at all. As Israel's king, David had many, many reasons to be proud. In God's kingdom, he was literally the king. God had chosen him, and God was very pleased with and invested in him, in David. The city of Jerusalem and the temple that was located there, which is where God's presence dwelled, were shining stars on David's record. He had an incredible amount of responsibility. He had an incredible amount of power. Now set all of that aside and consider the fact that David is here expressing a deep level of humility in these words that he wrote. In verse 1, David says, God, I am not proud. A heart that is lifted up was a picture of pride. That's how they understood that. The heart represented the center of life. It represented the place of authority in our lives. It was seen as the command center. That's your heart. And what David is saying is that his command center was not elevated by his own sense of responsibility, power, and authority. He was not at the center. If he thought he was, he would describe his heart as being lifted up. He would be elevating himself as his own command center. The statement about his eyes being raised too high was an expression of the same kind of thinking, but this time it had to do with his desires. 
The eyes represent desire in the Bible. We see what we want. If anyone understood how dangerous it is to give in to our desires, wouldn't David be at the top of the list of those who understand this best? His lack of control over his desire, his eyes, is recorded for us. We've read about it. It had a devastating impact on himself, but even more on a man and woman whose lives were destroyed because David gave his eyes more power and more influence than they deserved. Giving in to his desires led David to engage in adultery and murder. So David's making a statement here that his heart, his control center, was submitted to God, not elevated to the highest place. He didn't see himself as being the ultimate authority in his life. And he's stating that he was not allowing his desire to call the shots. His eyes were not raised too high. And that's a very different understanding of this verse or this part of one verse than what I expected when I first read it. This is a statement of humility. And I have to believe that this is an honest statement from David. In spite of all the reasons he had to be proud, David is declaring humility. And God is using his honest declaration to speak to me today, to speak to us. Can I honestly, myself, make the same statements? Is my heart, my control center, not lifted up, not at the top? Or am I struggling to surrender control to God and lower the status of my own heart? Do I still think my own heart knows best? Or am I following David's steps by becoming a man after God's heart? Am I making him the center? Am I choosing to have God lead in my life and placing my own control center under his authority, under his will? And I get that this is not easy to do. Our pride tells us that we know best. We're most competent to drive the bus. We're the ones who can be trusted. And culture affirms that way of thinking for us constantly. Matching the difficulty of that admission is the subject of my desires. My eyes direct me to what I want. So do yours. My will is then challenged to go get what I want. And our culture rushes to my side and tells me that I can have and be anything I want. Do I allow my eyes to remain elevated? Are my desires ranked higher than they should be? Now, can I make a quick cultural connection here? This psalm was written so long ago in such a different context. How can it possibly be relevant to us today? Well, shocker, it is. 
Today, in this day and age, one of the most dangerous temptations we face is to give in to these two lies. Lie number one, follow your heart. Let your personal human command center determine your steps. Sound familiar? Lie number two, I've already mentioned this, you can have and be anything you want, anything you desire. Can you see the relevance of this psalm for us right now, today? These are the enemy's targets, heart and eyes. And God's desire is to hear us with integrity say the words, my heart is not lifted up and my eyes are not raised too high. How's that for a goal as a follower of Jesus? Start praying toward that end right now in your own life. But wait, there's more. We're only halfway through verse 1 and already I'm exhausted. David adds some context to his statement. And that context isn't really clear until you put the words that David wrote into the context of all of his writings and his life story. David says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And here's a major slap in the face to our pride. My first reading of this statement left me frustrated. Thinking that I'm being told to stand down and not worry about complicated, complex things. Those are beyond me, things for smart people to explore. But oh, the necessity of context. David was a very wise person, empowered and driven by God himself. Why is he saying this? Okay, here we go. I believe David is saying that there are things that he does not involve himself, occupy himself with, because they are things that only God can do and only God should receive the glory and credit for. And of course he's right. Psalm 106 verse 21 references a great thing, something that David would not give himself credit or glory for. It says this, it says, They forgot, they, God's people, forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. Throughout their history, God did great things for Israel, including delivering them, rescuing them more than once. Uh, In our series, we even touched on the time of exile in Babylon and how God fulfilled his promise to Israel and redeemed them and brought them home. God did great things for his people. God does great things for his people. And David's not going to take the credit or glory for those things. He's not going to insert his name into the story of what God did. I have a quote on the wall of my office that says, The story of God has been, is now, and always will be the story of the world. This is God's story. Pride says it's our story. Humility says it's God's. 
And we're not going to take credit or glory for what he's doing. And David makes a statement about not occupying himself with things too marvelous for him. Psalm 71 verse 19 says this. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Could David be acknowledging that there is a level of righteousness, something being the way it should be, that is beyond him and can only be attained by God? David was aware of his own sin. He was clear about falling short of the glory of God, just like we have and every single person ever except Jesus. So he's not going to occupy himself with laying claim to God's level of righteousness. He's not going to arrange his life and reputation so that he can be credited with a level of righteousness that only God possesses. And now take a moment to think about this. We have been credited with the righteousness of Christ by God. It's the only way we're going to spend eternity with him. Make a note to thank God for that at some point. It's kind of important. This again is an honest statement of humility. And this kind of statement was so necessary. Israel had a tendency to put their hope in leaders like David. They danced on the edge of worshiping David. And Moses and Jacob and others. And as they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem... Marching toward the temple, they were reminded by everything around them of their security in the mighty city of Jerusalem. They were reminded of the peace they enjoyed and even the fortunes that had been recently restored to them. And David is reminding them that all that misses the mark. At the end of this psalm, he'll remind them with the words, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Connection to us today, it's really obvious to me. We are a culture of leader worshipers. Even in the church. And so let's make something as clear as possible, having soaked up David's words for a while. God has... Uh, sorry, I'm so incredibly grateful for this. God has done great things here at Chapel Hill Church. I am simply stunned with how we're flourishing right now, in spite of years of struggle that brought out a lot of ugly things about the church. Around the world, I mean. We are growing spiritually. We are growing as a community. We are growing in the impact that we're having. And God has been leading a wave of people to this church family. And I, yeah... 
And I do not take credit for any of it. God is doing great things. And the fact that he's, that he's using me in a small way in what we're doing and what he's doing is overwhelmingly humbling. God is our authority. God's desire is becoming our desire. Great things are being done by him. And I am determined to not get in the way and claim some sort of level of personal righteousness in all this that I should get credit for. As a church, we need God's righteousness, not mine. And we need to focus on his righteousness. And I guarantee you that I will let you down regularly because my righteousness is nothing compared to God's. And I will continue to strive to point you to his righteousness as your hope. Okay, we need to get to the weird stuff now. Verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So weird. David has made it clear that he is overcoming his pride. He's not taking the glory or credit for what God is doing. He wants Israel to understand that he's not their answer. I think David also wants Israel to see something else that has incredible importance in their lives. David has taken a step in his own life. He calmed and quieted his soul. David addressed his mind, his emotions, and his decision-making and told them to chill. David composed his soul. He smoothed it out. And he creates a powerful picture for us. It's a picture of a mom and her child. Watch for the maturing process here. There's a difference between a nursing child and a weaned child. If we were to try and describe a nursing child's mind, emotions, and will... That description would be a little bit crazy. They're frantic, demanding, emotional, and selfish. Polite would not be part of that description. They seem to panic about having what they need or want. They have no respect for timing or privacy. In their tiny minds, they're the only important person on the planet, and you will give them what they need, period, or they blow up. Kind of like us in the childhood phase of our faith. We want God to give us what we want. We can get pretty frantic if we think our needs are not being met. We question and criticize if God's not responding to our requests or our demands. We're still pretty self-centered. And that's understandable we're still kids, little kids, nursing babies. And the Bible even refers to craving spiritual milk at that stage in our growth. And so we don't beat ourselves up for this, but we do grow up. 
who God is when we're young like nursing babies looks different to us than who God is when we're weaned. Like the relationship between a child and their mom changes when they're weaned. A weaned child develops a level of contentment with their mom once they reach that stage that that wasn't there before. And a level of contentment with God develops for us when we calm our souls down and see him for who he is. The selfishness, demanding emotion, and panic starts to fade. Trust grows. We'll get what we need. He'll be faithful with us. We we start to count on mercy, forgiveness, steadfast love, and, and redemption, all the things that he promises. We're not crying and demanding that anymore. David was content with God. He trusted God. He released his need for control to God. He aligned his desires with God's. There was a whole new relationship there once David's pride began to shrink and his maturity began to grow. He was becoming a man after God's heart, not simply responding to his own heart. This is the contentment that I'm looking for in my own life, and I think we all want this. I want to rest in the sufficiency of God. I want to sing with integrity and meaning, Jaira, God, you are enough. I want to trust him and his care for me. I don't want my childish self to ever again create a self-centered, frantic, demanding approach to God. I want to lean into God, resting on him and his character. I want the humility that David claimed and the ability to calm and quiet my soul. This is what I'm praying for today, for me and for every single one of us. So as it turns out, David's going to give us the key to seeing that happen in our lives. This is the easy verse in the psalm. Verse 3, where he says, O Israel, O God's people, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This contentment, this approach, this relationship with God, this maturity is possible For all of us. It comes from putting our hope where? In the Lord. This kind of humility comes from putting our hope in God's heart. In God's desires. In God's ability. In God's sufficiency. God's faithfulness, mercy, forgiveness, steadfast love and redemption. So ask God for this level of contentment with him. He will faithfully provide as we remove ourselves from the center and give God his rightful place.
All right, let's talk to him for a few minutes, and then we'll close our time with another song. Let's pray. And after that, after hearing what God just spoke to us through Psalm 131, if there's something that you need to say to God now, say it now. God, you are enough. Your grace is enough. And we thank you this morning that there is a process here. There's growth here. There's maturing here. And we don't have to spend our whole lives like nursing children, worrying frantically about whether or not we're going to get what we need. Thank you that you have invited us like you invited David to calm and quiet our souls and lean on you and be content in you and find peace in knowing that you have everything that we need. You are everything that we need. Thank you for the demonstration of humility that David gave us this morning. For words that go deeper than we may have ever seen them go before. Thank you again for the Bible. For capturing some of this for us and giving us the freedom to gather here together today and just dig into it. You're very generous with us, God, and we thank you for that. God, I pray for us, I pray for myself and for everyone that's here, for all those watching online, I just ask, Father, that this would be a time when we really step into that contentment that you have in mind for us. If we're struggling, if any of us are struggling with that frantic mindset, that demanding, that, that self-centeredness that, that comes before you and then we wrestle through all this to get to past it god just walk us through that by your strength and i thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you're doing in this church for times like this when we get to just stop pause and reflect on the good things that you are doing you are good and you do good things for your people. And we are honored to be your people and receive those good things. God, please just continue doing what you're doing here. Create in us a, a desire to be men and women, children after your heart. Continue helping us to remove ourselves from the center and put you there. To get ourselves away from the top and put you there. to lean into and trust you for who you are. You are good. You are enough. And we praise you for that this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.